0: From the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter Long. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We are going to begin with a word of prayer. I hope you guys appreciate these prayers because I need them. And I hope you do too. Lord, we need you as uh, we present this information we pray that in the spirit that it is given it will be taken and that your holy spirit will confirm all things that are true and that people will forget what's not we pray that you'll bless Kathy mags as she is here so early on a sunday getting this program ready so that people can watch consider and include the contents into their minds and hearts according to your will. So let it go smoothly, Lord, and help those who seek truth receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. God is a consuming fire. That's what Scripture says. Three places, a consuming fire. He created heaven and earth from nothing. Creatio ex nihilo is what the old phrase is. Nothing came before him. Nothing supersedes him. He is all powerful. He keeps this universe in motion and spinning. He 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 does it all, all the way from the the macro level, this giant universe and the and the planets. He did this thing. He created man in his image, male and female. He created uh, he them. Jesus says that God is a spirit. He's spirit. You don't see him. You can see him like you can see what's between my hands. He's spirit. He's invisible. God is what scripture says. Did you know that he's an invisible God, but we know that man whom God created out of the dust is not spirit. We know, we are flesh, bone. Dust thou art, God said, and to the dust thou will return. That's what he said about man, remember that. That God said that to Adam, dust you are, right? So God created man in his image. If God is spirit and man is created out of the dust and God says dust you are, how are we created in his image? It's not materially, folks, so Mormons get over that idea. Interestingly, in the creative composition of man, God inspired him, I use that word purposely, if you will, to life. He inspired us to life, and I use that word purposely because the living God, who is spirit, breathed, breathed his breath into that dust, that clay that he formed, and that clay, man, became a living soul. That, that breath whoo, inspired, whoo, inflated that clay and that clay became not just dust, it became a living soul. That's what man became. And as a living soul, the Greeks say that man became a being of mind, will, Emotion that's what soul suke means in the Greek. So, when God the Spirit breathed His breath into the clay lump, that lump, that dust became something, it became what a living soul, a something that was alive by God's breath that had a mind, it has will, it has emotions, and in that way. We are created in His image. In that way, we are like Him. That we have like Him a mind. We have will. We have emotion. Did you know God has emotion? He can be angry. He, it's, he can shed tears, apparently. Of course, there's spiritual tears. He has a mind. He has a will. And that is how we are like Him Uh, It's not that other creations don't have mind, will, and emotion, but they don't have it in the same way and in the same capacity as God. God gave human beings that capacity to be like Him, to have, listen, our own mind, will, and emotion. And that's how God created man in His image, and He was man three expressions in one being. I have uh, 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 my, my mind, my will, my emotion in one being, all three, right? Man could think, mind, on his own, independent from God. We know that because Adam and Eve had the ability to think and choose and name animals and decide to go against God with their will, which was separate from God, Okay and their attitude, they could believe things and and we can see things and, and interpret things like we want and we have emotions that are opposite of what God might want. We get to exercise those as we wish because we've been created in his image, right? So we have feel things. These elements introduce something to the human creation that other creations are limited in. You ready? Free will. And this made human beings autonomous creatures. Autonomous meaning you are free, you are independent, you're not puppeteered. There are some things that contribute, yes but you are a free will individual from the creation because God made you in his image and he is, has free will. And so we too have that. Now, more and more people suggest that human beings don't have free will. They say human beings are determined by their genetics and their DNA and their environment and their nature and their nurture and that we are, atheists say this, Calvinists say this, all human beings are actually puppeted that you, because you were born to this family and this race and this environment and these things happen to you, that by the time you're whatever age, you don't have any free will. You're on automation of what your experiences and environments have done to you. And I would agree that to some extent we are. I have a certain genetic makeup that I can see is in my parents. I have a certain uh, response to things because of my experiences. But I would suggest, contrary to our atheist friends and our Calvinist friends, that God gave us free will. He said, I have created you and I'm going to make you in my image. And you are, as Jean-Paul Sartre said, condemned to be free. And that with this freedom, we are crushed daily by these opportunities and these demands, these condemnations to choose. And it's hard. We don't sometimes want choice. We want to be told. We will relinquish our free will over for someone else to take it and be responsible for it. That's why religions uh, are so popular. That's why cults grow. That's why governments in, in governmental regimes reign that are doing horrible things. Nazi Germany is because the people said, Hitler, you tell us our will. We're tired of thinking on our own. We're tired of our own independent thought. We're tired of making choices. We don't want this free will. And as Sartre said, we are condemned to be free. Even the choice to say I don't want free will is a choice. Yes, it is done in all, amidst all the factors that contribute to the choices that we make. But in the end, we have free will and we are responsible for the choices that we make. In the end, all responsible, all of us, and people don't like that. Yes, God will take in all mitigating factors. Oh, you were born a crack baby, so you, you, okay, he'll take all that into account. When when the assessment comes down, he knows. You know, oh, you did this because you were uh, raped, and you did this because you were abused, and you did this because of your DNA. He'll take all that into account. But he's going to come down to the wire where once he's excluded all that, he's going to say, there was this much of you left in there and you chose, buddy. And people don't want to hear that. So they go to determinism and they say, no, we're all determined. There's no choice. We are just determined by all those factors. I suggest that this gift in our creation is so precious, so godly, that is the first two charact- of two characteristics that God cannot interfere with. When I say cannot, what I really mean is will not interfere with. Because if he did, he would somehow interrupt the way he has done things from the start. And that would make him a respecter of persons. And that would make him an interloper. And it would make him choosing to interfere with some people's decisions and choices and to not interfere with others. And that would make him, therefore, responsible for the final destination of every soul. No. No way. No way. And so that is the first thing that God cannot change. He cannot change the free will he has given every human individual created in his name. If they seek his interference, that's a different thing. Understand, if you seek God's interference in your life, that, he can do that. If you pray to him and say, help me overcome this addiction, he can, he can step in and interface. But you will never, ever, you cannot believe in a God who will step in and interfere without your consent. And that might be one of the reasons why we seek to know him and why we pray and why we have faith and why we offer up our lives to let him step in and do the things that he wants to do on our behalf because we've given him the permission. But unless we, the renter, open up the door and allow him in, he's not stepping in. There's no interference. The ability to choose is intrinsic to the nature of being human. And in the end, that ultimately makes us all responsible for our choices, for our acts, and quite frankly, for our respective lives as a whole. Hand in hand with this reality, we're presented with the second thing which God cannot change. It goes hand in hand with free will but it's kind of a a distinct expression of free will that God cannot do anything with. Ready, can't fix it, can't change it. He can try, but he cannot step in and do it. It has to come from within. This might seem like a no-brainer because free will is in the hands of each individual, but this one does not stand so much as an irrefutable fact of human creation, but it lies in the free will choices that human beings make. You ready? In other words, I submit to you that in the face of our free will choice, some people make God's hands absolutely tied because of their free will choice in this one area. So he can't infringe upon free will and then taken to an extreme, he cannot do anything once this is in place in a human being. What is it? pride. He can't touch it. I don't think he can do anything about it. Oh, he can throw things at you to get, to cause you to choose to humble yourself. Yeah. So when I say can't touch it, I mean, he cannot get inside you and change that. You have to humble yourself. Pride is your choice with your free will. And if you don't, that's why scripture says, humble yourself Humble yourself before God. Because, yeah, you can have things happen that will humble you, but you're choosing to let them humble you. There are people that can have the same things happen to them and they grow in pride. You know? So you're driving along and things aren't going so well in your life, but you're really proud in your heart. And your car breaks down in the desert. And you start walking and you start getting thirsty and you start going back to where you came from in your relationship with God, and you start saying, man, I've been so proud. Oh, I can use this experience to see how proud I've been. Oh, I'm being humbled. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, God help me, I'm sorry. He can use that experience that you have chosen to humble yourself, and, and, and you can use it together to bring you out of that place. The, the second person can walk along and their car breaks down, and they're like, you never do anything for me. And the thirstier they get, their fingers start coming out for God. And they say, you are an apt uh, absentee manager. You don't have any ability to do anything. Why? Why can't you just save me right here? You see? And he cannot stop that pride that exists in the heart of people who choose it. Cannot. Pride. I submit to you that God can help and work and fix and save anyone from anything. He can heal, he can redirect, he can console any and all free will individuals, with the exception of those who operate by pride. When they start operating by pride, I think that he has to step back and he has to let it go where it wants. I've learned this firsthand in my own dealings with individuals over the past four decades someone is an egregious sinner, help is possible so long as their heart's open. They can be doing the worst sins, but if their heart is soft and they yearn to have God help them, it's completely possible. God can deal with that all day long, and He has. Someone's struggling in the faith, someone's struggling in their marriage, someone's having a crisis of faith, a humble heart before him makes all things possible always. I don't care what it is in your life. If you're humble before him, he will step in and help and help fix you. He can. But show me somebody, whatever stage they're in, sinful or not, who's proud, who's arrogant, who has bold justifications for, them, for their sin, And rationalizations for themselves in their marriage, proud condemnation of God and His will and ways. And I'm telling you, God Himself, I do not believe, can engage with somebody and break them of that if they're not willing. So we see those two tied together, free will and pride. And they will ultimately find themselves alone. He will step back and leave them to their own devices. See, the existence of pride or humility is in the free will hands of every individual. In other words, by free will, every person is free to humble themselves. That's why the commands of Scripture are to humble yourself or not. That's a constant choice. To refuse to humble ourselves is to embrace pride. To refuse and that serves to shut the door to any entrance god could have in his ability to work with you heal you uh, lead you teach you you shut the door through pride over the years i've been involved personally with a young man in the faith and we were friends based on our united love for our god and our devotion to him through christ and he possessed a real spoken zeal for God through Christ. And it was constantly uh, expressed by him. And I love that about him because there was no filters. There was, there was no uh, pri- pride. There was humility. There was contrition. And he was a sinner, you know, the whole time. We would talk openly about our respective failures. And he was absolutely a sinner. But God was able to constantly work with him. And God does because we're all sinners, right? People were not always nice to him in the faith because he was a little unique. And so in time, uh, their failure as Christians to fully embrace him and his needs begin to wear on his dedication to places of worship. He couldn't really find a home where he was uh, sitting with other believers because he was unique, very different young man. In due time, he began to take his eyes and his devotion off the king and the kingdom and to look to men and women and men around them to this world and this kingdom and to focus on what they offered him personally. Because in part, he wasn't getting it from other Christians. He really wasn't. The outside world was giving him more attention and more love as he was as this unique soul. He started taking pride in himself. He started taking pride because that's what the world told him to do. Be proud of who you are, you know, and he uh, was and is a homosexual. And so he began to take pride in his homosexuality. And we sat down on a number of times and not a practicing homosexual, just in his heart, he was a homosexual. And he began to say things that like I'm proud I'm gay and I'm proud Jesus made me gay. I'm proud of my sexuality and I'm not gonna let anybody tell me differently. And when I heard those things, I began to be a little concerned. And I told them, I'm a little worried about you. I'm worried about you because of your pride. I don't care that you're homosexual. I don't care that you're a licentious person. I don't care if you're sleeping with uh, women or men, that's between you and God. I care about that heart, brother, because that heart is becoming proud on something that you know we should not be proud of anything. I shouldn't be proud of my heterosexuality. Well, I want to walk around and say, Wow, I banged this many chicks. That is a problem. You know, so it's not about the sexuality. This is where we get it all wrong. That pride that he allowed into his life for his sexuality. To join the parades and say he's proud to be a a gay Christian man, that was a signal to me that he has a foot on a slippery slope. But that wasn't enough. He just couldn't be gay or a homosexual. He had to be proud of his homosexuality. That's like a, a, a woman saying she's proud of her worldliness or a a woman saying she's proud of the men that she sleeps with, or a man saying he's proud of of his uh, pride, or whatever it is, it's that heart. It's not the activity, it's the heart. I knew it wasn't gonna work out well. He started to get his attention from the world, his validation from the world. Then he began to celebrate his uh, sexuality and the way the world celebrates it. And soon he began to express super um, human, humanism, ways toward humanism. Humanism became more of his uh, focus than God. What Jesus was to him, he began to move over and say, I am being more like Jesus to this world than Christians are. And he was proud of that. I do more for the poor. I do more for the homeless. I do this. I do that. Christians aren't doing jack. I follow Jesus. And there was pride that he followed Jesus better than others. So the slope is getting slip, more slippery. And I, I'm telling him over the past few years, I am worried about you. Why? I just am telling you that. I love you as a brother. You can do what you want, but I'm worried about you because these things contribute to that state of pride that human beings can quickly get. That's why we have to constantly humble ourselves. You see, that's the command that's on us. So he began more and more to talk about the community that helps the poor as being his real community, as the real Christians. And he proudly compared them and their open love and their open support for him as a gay man feeding the poor to Christians who were a little bit more like, well, what about, where's your love for Jesus? And admittedly, some Christians who were probably attacking him for being who he was. But I watched as the pride swelled, pride for his way of living, pride for his way of seeing the world, pride for his activism. You can become proud in activism and it can strip you right away from God. And, his, and then and then you began, you know, when you start to see the struggling and, and suffering in the world and you're focused on them and you're doing so much for them, it soon became, well, where's God in all this suffering? Where's God in these homeless people? I am out there serving the homeless as a gay, proud man and God, he's not doing anything for them. Why is he allowing the suffering? And so then he moved into listening and studying Christopher Hitchens and Matt Matt, uh, uh, Dillahunty and all these other guys and and reading and hearing their books. And I I knew it wasn't going to be long. And he told me in advance, I'm starting to listen to these. I'd say, well, you know, all right, whatever. I don't think information can ever hurt you unless your heart's wrong. If your heart is set wrongly, information will destroy you. But if your heart's set right, nothing can bug bug you. That's why I'm not big on making rules of what you should and shouldn't read. I think I study everything possible. But God has given me the heart to say, be humble, look to him always. And suddenly with this little bit of information from from these guys who uh, think they know all things about the non-existence of God, I start to hear his tone change more and more. And to the uh, final point, is I began to hear him repeat lines using Jesus' name. Well, Jesus fed the poor and Jesus loved the poor and Jesus never talked about homosexuals and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, But what he was really saying is my way of doing Jesus is better than anybody else's way of doing Jesus, pride. And the slippery slope took him down. And he then began to smoke pot constantly because of a geographical decision and he's smoking it all day long and he's listening to atheists under the influence of the pot he is now proud to be a gay christian man he's now proud of the way he serves the community better than anybody else he's doing what jesus did better than anybody else and that p-r-i-d-e word got him to a place where now he says I'm really not sure I believe in God anymore. I'm really not sure that Jesus was as important as we think he was. In fact, and so we start to get a little bit heated because I'm at this point seeing that over the years, I could accept all of his expressions of sin, his uniqueness, his differences, his difficulties, his needs. I can accept and try to help everything on that. And then he goes to being gay and coming out, and I could accept that fully. You do what you want, that's between you and God. You came out of the womb a certain way and your experiences made you a certain way. I don't care. I could accept everything working with him, but as he got further and further down the road and then he became so muddled in his brain through constant use of pot and listening to atheists that he became so proud that he said, the creation story is proven false. And if the creation story is false, then the fall was false. And if the fall was false, there's no need for a savior. And at that point, I said, we're done. Done. And I realized through my own experience, and I'm just a failing man, full of sin, pride too. But I realized through my own experience, you can be with somebody all the way, as long as their heart is soft. And they are willing to bring God in humbly and with contrition, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. But the moment they start thinking they're smarter, they're better, they know things that others don't, they're a better Christian than others, when you start letting that stuff in and your heart starts getting hard, I think God even says to people who get to that point, I'm done. I've got nothing more I can do with you. We see this evidenced in the parable of the prodigal son. Do you remember? Jesus says there was a father who had two sons, and one son said, give me my inheritance, I wanna leave. Now something in him thought, I can do better with my life than being here under your tutelage. I'm gonna leave and go off into a far country with the money that I take, and so he takes it. And he spends it all on riotous living, whatever that means, and he winds up poor, and he's in a foreign country, and the only job he can get is to feed pigs. And he's sitting there, and Jesus has this prodigal son. He, he says this in the story. And when the son came to his, himself, when the son came to himself, you notice the father didn't chase the son all the way out to that proud place of spending his money on whores or whatever he did and all the things he did. The father let him go. And so Jesus says in the parable, and when he came to himself... This is the combination of God honoring free will and, and stepping away from pride because there's nothing he can do. And it says, and when he came to himself, he said, I could be a servant in my father's house rather than sitting here and eating the husks that are fed to pigs. And he came back, he humbled himself. I'll be a servant. And the father saw him and ran to him. Why? Because that prodigal showed a soft heart and returned to that source of truth. And the father came to him and embraced him and put a ring on his finger and a coat on his back and had a party and said, my son, who was a sinner, has returned. He rejoiced because the son came to his own senses and he allowed himself to be humbled rather than full of pride. As if and when you see your free will, which we all have, that God will not mess with, and you see that you are taking a take on life that is proud, and I don't care what the subject is, if you're a Christian and you think you're better than a Mormon, if you are a Catholic and you think you're better than Orthodox, if it's religious pride, If it's personal pride, because you're so good at this sport or that sport, if it's because you're so handsome, if it's because you're so beautiful, you give more to the church than anybody else. If it's that stuff, pull it back. Humble yourself before God. Place yourself in His care and His hands and have Him show you the error of your ways. He can't do it without, uh, uh, without an invitation, without an introduction, He cannot step in and change you. I am convinced that the new Jerusalem will be full of his children, his sons and daughters. And outside of that place will be people who aren't filled necessarily with sin. That's been taken care of. Who aren't filled with, they are filled with free will pride. And he can't touch them until they're willing. Remember, we're having an open water baptism Sunday, September 26th here at the Campus Studios. Join us 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Baptisms are the way you want to do them. Food will be free. We'd love to see you. And we'll uh, talk then.